This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Biases are something that many of us at times don't even realize that we have. And they can come into play when we're at work or in other aspects of our lives. Consultant and public speaker Sarah Taylor has written a book that looks at how we can alleviate some of these problems. The book is titled Filter Shift, How Effective People See the World. And as I said, that word see is very important to this discussion. And Sarah joins us right now. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, So I guess let's start with when you're talking about this filter shift, what are you exactly, uh, what exactly are you focusing on? Well, many things that we're focusing on, but first, just to get an understanding of this is about how our unconscious dictates for us how we're seeing our interactions. And so what we need to understand are the filters that are operating in our unconscious and eventually be able to shift those filters in order to be more effective. So it's about our effectiveness. Well, how many people realize that they that they probably have this problem uh, and, and are able to manage it? Because I, you go into the fact that I guess to a degree this is a is something uh, to be able to kind of navigate through this problem that, that you can learn along the way if it has been an issue for you in the past. Yeah, that's a very good question because the reality is. With one of the cultural competence models that we use, we can see that actually between 95 to 99 percent of us don't realize that we have a problem. And specifically what that 95 to 99 percent is, it shows us that's the number of folks that have a significant gap between where they think they are versus where they actually are in their competence when they're interacting across difference. So what does that mean? I mean, if I think that I'm, I'm Wonder Woman when it comes to having interactions with folks that are different from me, but in reality, I don't have the skill, well, A, that means I've got some huge blind spots. Right. B, it might also mean that I'm unintentionally offending others. And that's one of the things we really talk about is that unintentionally offending others, none of us want to do that. So learning how to filter shift helps us to uh, become more intentional and match our, our impact with uh, that good intent. I, I guess part of this, there's a very interesting uh, example that you give early on in the book uh, involving, of all people, Saddam Hussein. Uh, and Bill right. Richardson, which I, I found very interesting, and how kind of unknown some of these some of these slights can actually be. Yeah, that's right. And the real key learning in that story is we've got all kinds of great mantras and um, philosophies, essentially, that we all kind of live by, but we don't realize that in many times those mantras perpetuate this ineffectiveness. And the one that we talked about with that particular story is the mantra of, or the the rule, if you will, of the golden rule, uh, that we should treat others as we want to be treated. That actually is a reflection of one of the ineffective stages 
in these five stages of development. Mm -hmm. Why is that ineffective? Because it's based on just this teeny tiny assumption that the whole universe wants to be treated the way I want to be treated. Right. And, and that's not the case. We've got to learn how to treat others as they want to be treated, which is the platinum rule. Uh, I, I was going to say the, the the interesting piece to that story between Saddam Hussein is the fact that I guess he was sitting at, at the table mm-hmm. getting ready to meet with them. And he had his knee crossed over his other leg, which allowed the bottom of his shoe to be seen, which is seen as a, a very big diss by yes. by people in that in, in that culture. Yes, yeah. And to clarify, that was Bill Richardson that had yeah. his his uh, knee crossed over, showing the sole of his shoe. And to think about that's someone. I mean, Bill Richardson, a very very competent, we'd say a very successful, very effective person. Yeah. He even had three staff people that were helping him to prepare for that meeting and for three months preparing for that meeting. But yet it was still over in less than a minute because it was incredibly offensive. The way he was showing the sole of his shoe, that would be essentially the equivalent of Saddam Hussein sending a diplomatic emissary to President Clinton at the time, and that diplomatic emissary sitting down in the Oval Office and flipping off President Clinton. I mean, that's essentially what that gesture from Bill Richardson seemed like to Saddam Hussein. And the learning there is that, you know, we can't know every single, you know, what's every gesture and so forth. But if Bill Richardson would have approached his preparation from the perspective of Saddam's filters. What is Saddam? How does he look at this meeting versus how he did approach it from the, from what he says in, in his, uh, in his book, what he did to approach it was to say, you know, what would I do if, uh, what would I want if I were in Saddam's shoes? Well, that's essentially the golden rule. And that's where, that's what tripped him up because he thought, you know, well, gosh, if I were in Saddam's shoes, well, you know, I wouldn't want this, you know, the big powerhouse of the world, of the United States, coming in and being all uppity and formal with me. I'd want them to be informal. And so that's why he went into that meeting, sat down, leaned back, crossed his legs, up went the sole of his shoe. Well, I, and, and I guess to a degree, and, and again, in, in that situation, uh, it was something that Mr. Richardson didn't even really consider uh, yeah. as an option. And, and the obviously, the, the back end of that story is that Saddam Hussein got up and, and left the yeah. room. And, and obviously, that's something that can similarly play out in, in boardrooms, negotiation tables. You know, you can, you can just kind of run the list of, of potential options and obviously can have a, a much of a negative effect on somebody trying to do business or trying to build a relationship with another company or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But the the reality is lots of us aren't in situations like that with a dictator that just can just get up and leave a meeting. Hopefully we're not upset. Right. Right. Yeah. But the rest of us, we're in meetings or we're in interactions, and we might get a little bit of a tent, uh, sense afterward of, hmm, I don't know that that went very well. Uh, but we don't have the person uh, telling us. We don't have the person getting up and leaving. So we don't have those cues from others every day 
that we're not being our most effective. All right. So I'm, I mentioned that the word C is is kind of important to this whole process. Mm-hmm. And, and the letters in the word C, S-E-E, kind of break out uh, to a, a, something very important uh, in terms of the path of this is C, the word S-E-E, explain for the second E and evaluate for the third E. That's right. And what's happening when we observe anything or when we're in an interaction, all kinds of thoughts come to our mind about that interaction. I might have a conversation with you, Dan, and things are coming up in my head. You know, I think he's this. I think he's that. I I thought this about what he said. But what we don't realize is the vast majority of those thoughts are coming from our unconscious. Mm -hmm. That's the explain and evaluate. So my unconscious takes what I see, what's objective, and then its job, I mean, it's, it's wired to do this. Its job is, okay, I got to pass up an explanation to that conscious mind. So here's how I'm going to explain what I think I see. And then the unconscious goes even further and says, okay, now I got to place a judgment on it. So here's the judgment of what I think I see. So the key to that is, those filters are operating, doing all of this in my unconscious, but those filters are created by my past experiences. Right. So I don't share the same filters with anyone. So while my brain is telling me in my interaction with you, oh, Dan was this, he's been giving me all kinds of explanations about you, all kinds of judgments about you, but I have no idea if what my filters are telling me matches what your filters are telling you. So then what happens is you've got to come in from the other side. Your filters are telling you all kinds of things about me. Yeah. And then we can get into a misunderstanding. And what we don't realize when we're in those misunderstandings is that those many, many, many times are actually filter fights. We're talking with Sarah Taylor. The book is Filter Shift, How Effective People See the World. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Again, if you're not able to get to your phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. How often do you think that, that, that some of those situations just are misunderstandings? Well, I think it's the vast majority of the time because... Uh, I've got a, a premise, and it's, I've asked this question to probably tens of thousands of people now. Uh, it's my personal uh, opinion, if you will, but when I ask folks in the audiences of my presentations, all I see are head nods in agreement. So the question that I ask is, what do you think? Do you think the vast majority of us enter the workplace every day with positive intent? And folks will nod. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah. I mean, don't you think so, Dan? I mean, think, you know, we... Uh, no, I, I look to come into the office and be a, dis- a destruction force every day. Right, right. Or you say, <laughs> oh, please give me that disrespectful workplace today, right? Right. Oh, yeah. It's what we're <laughs> yeah. looking for. Exactly. So we're if we all are entering the workforce and we want to have positive relationships, we want to contribute, we've got that positive intent, then why do we have misunderstandings. The reason we have misunderstandings is because we aren't able to match that positive intent with an equally positive impact. Right. And and when it gets down to it, what is it that really matters? I mean, I can have the best of intentions, but 
you know, let's just say something more and instead of along the lines of something that might happen in, in an interaction, but let's say something physical. Like, let's say I, I'm presenting and I, I've got my stiletto heels on, which I, I never do when I present. <laughs> I don't think I could. But I accidentally step on someone's foot that's in the front row with my stilettos. Right. I mean, their reaction is going to be a, a scream, probably. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. And I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm so sorry. Now, what's going to actually determine whether that person was hurt or not? Is it going to be the scream or my, oh, my gosh, I didn't mean to? It's true, yeah. Yeah, so we know that it's the impact. It's the impact that decides. Going back to our interactions, it's our impact on others that decides our effectiveness, not our intent. So I can have the best of intentions, and then I get into a misunderstanding with someone, and then, well, you know, it must be something, it must be their fault. It must be, you know, they were disrespectful. And I don't go back to, wait a second, what was going on from, how is my unconscious really controlling that situation? And how did that determine how I interacted? And what do I need to do to be have a better impact the next go round? Well, one of the things you you bring up, and I think it plays well off of that, is that in these situations, uh, a lot of times some of this happens because people aren't taught to really kind of be able to deal with them and understand them. Uh, so I, I guess my question next is kind of twofold. One, why do you think that's the case? And two, how do you be, how are you able to handle that? Yeah, 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 it, exactly. Why aren't we taught, boy, I would say that the reason why most of us aren't taught this competence is because we, we believe a number of myths. One is we believe that just being comfortable with differences means that I'm going to be competent. But think about it. What other areas does comfort equal competent? I mean, I am completely comfortable holding my high school clarinet uh, that I used to play, but you do not want to hear me try to play it. I am nowhere near competent. (laughs) Right. You know, the other myth that we think is, well, you know, I'm exposed. I'm exposed to all kinds of differences. I've got differences all around me. I get, you know, I, you know, my my best friend is gay. My next door neighbor is black. My my mom has lived with a disability all of her life. I get this stuff. Right. But there again, in what other area would we say that exposure equals competence? I mean, if that were the case, we wouldn't need schools. We just have kind of like this math guru set up, and everybody just send your kids to the math guru, sure, yeah. exposed to them for an hour, and then all of a sudden they're going to know math. We know that that's not true in other cases where we really think about it as a competence. So to answer your question, I think the reality is we just don't see this as a competence. And we need to start seeing it that way as something that we need to develop, a skill we need to develop. We're talking with Sarah Taylor. Uh, the book is Filter Shift, How Effective People See the World. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or again, if you can't get your phone, send us a comment via Twitter, at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You also talk a little bit about uh, there are times where people will be in a situation and seemingly something seems so obvious to them. 
and it's almost like it, you know it should be locked in stone. Yet we, I guess, we have problems believing that that it actually could be that easy. Well, what we sometimes do is something that is obvious, an obvious difference in particular, but we're uncomfortable talking about it. Okay. So we see a difference. So let's say um, I, I get this all the time with um, my husband and I. So I'm a white woman, my husband a black man. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there are times when we're in groups that are all white groups except for my husband. And I'll have somebody say, hey, you know, so, uh, so Sarah, which one's your husband? And so if I've got the one black guy in a sea of white folks, yeah. You know, wouldn't it be the obvious to just say, as I'm trying to point him out, because that's what I'm being asked to do, point him out, you know, wouldn't it be obvious to just say the black guy? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But what many times folks do, they just feel very uncomfortable with that because we're really given many messages that we shouldn't talk about those differences. So lots of times when I say that, I'll get very uncomfortable kinds of uh, response. And particularly what I get most is like a nervous laughter, like, (laughs) and I know what they're thinking is, oh my gosh, Sarah just said black. And and she she called her husband mad and she doesn't even know that she's not supposed to say that. Yeah. It's our, and there again, it's our unconscious telling us, ooh, that's a topic you should avoid. But then what happens if we are avoiding those topics? When do we get into them if we're uncomfortable talking about differences, especially the easy-to-see differences? Then how are we ever going to be comfortable in our workplace interacting with those differences and talking about the differences that are even more difficult to see. So then is it is it your mindset then then we can affect change in some of these areas by having a more uh, understanding relationship in our personal lives and that hopefully that will carry over to our business worlds where, as you said, some of these issues obviously apply as well? Yeah, two things about that. First of all, uh, yes, I hear that all the time. I work with people mainly in the workplace. and But what I hear from them is, oh my gosh, you just solved an issue that I've been struggling with with my husband for 20 years. Or, or oh my gosh, I just, I just want to bring my, my wife in, or I just want to bring my partner in or my kids in so they can hear this. So yes, it definitely plays out both at home and at work. But the second thing, piece that you point out there is that this is actually something that we can develop. Right. It's not about, you know, there's some people that might just kind of naturally be nicer people. There's some people that are naturally more uh, maybe extroverted versus introverted. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a competence that we can develop. And to that point, uh, let me just see if you can guess, Dan. Um, the, we actually plot this out. Okay. Five stages of development. So they're progressive. You have to move through them to get to the most developed stage. Okay. So in that most developed stage, that's where we can see the full complexity of differences that are around us. Right. And we can respond to them effectively. So what's your guess? 
how many of us do you think operate in that stage? Oh, I, I would say I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but I would say it's got to be way up there. <laughs> well, that's what most of us think, but guess what? And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer here, but the percentage is actually only two and a half percent. Really? Only two and a half percent are operating in the highest stage of effectiveness yeah. where we can see the full complexity and respond to it. But going back to my point that I just made, the good news, that's the bad news, only two and a half percent. The good news is we can develop this competence. Right. We can build this. So how do you, how do you, how do you go about, how, what do you think is the best way to try and do that? Because that, if, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people sitting from the outside will be like, uh, you know, that seems like that would be a large task to undertake. And, you know, the good news is it isn't. Good. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it used to be, though, let me say, um, a, a lot of this work and folks that are doing a lot of this work um, for ages, what we've said is, you know what, to get folks to that last stage, it takes about 40 hours of intentional development work. And during that work, what we do is, you know, just show people all kinds of differences from all kinds of different groups. And eventually what will happen is you'll develop. Well, we did that uh, for years. And what I started to see I just in working with so many groups and hearing over and over again that as we did that and the process did work and people developed to that last stage. But as we did it, I started to hear and see patterns of people making like these uh, kind of like shift points. And so I said, well, gosh, what if we just taught those shift points? Um, at the time, I called them key developmental shifts, things yeah. that you needed in order to develop. And uh, there, essentially, there's uh, six of those. And what I started to do was teach just those key developmental shifts. And what we were able to do with that then is bring that 40-hour process down to just nine hours. And that's the process that we talk about in Filter Shift. It's starting with myself, understanding my own filters, then understanding the filters of others, and then finally understanding how I shift my filters to approach a situation more effectively. Thanks for coming on today, Sarah. We greatly appreciate it. You're very welcome, Dan. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. All the best to you. Uh, all the best. Uh, the uh, book is Filter Shift. Sarah Taylor is uh, our guest. Filter Shift, How Effective People See the World. It uh, is available in bookstores and online right now. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.